is A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. From Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure friendly hotlines are open. 877 Dave 007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General, General Cigar, Cigar Day. As we do every week, the weekly meeting of certified alpha males is officially underway. Jam-packed program for you. We've got some funny items. We've got some sad items. We've got some serious items. But the good news is... Your global alpha male-in-chief and global five-star ready to take command today from, appropriately, Command Center Alpha in the Cigar City. Two hours of alpha male pleasure maneuvers. Wherever you may be, grab a cigar, grab a libation, grab your dame or your harem should you chose to. Politely, of course. Politely. We don't want any hashtag MeToo moments. Turn on your grill, fire it up, throw on a steak. Let's get the party started. Long ash greetings and salutations. A long ash snappy salute, semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Screw the pleasure police. Screw the speech police. Let us just... Enjoy our cigars and our alpha male pleasures in peace for a change. As always, I invite you to follow me on social media. Go to CigarDave.com, upper right-hand corner, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Twitter is my preference. At CigarDaveShow is the handle. All right, first up, sexiest accent in the United States of America. I happened to see this yesterday. Sergeant Steve, would you like to take a guess? As to what the sexiest accent in the United States is, according to a survey, a travel company called Big 7, their survey of 1.5 million social media followers, they rank the top 50 accents. Any guess on number one? I'll say a southern accent. Close. Very close. I would say Texas Southwestern, that would qualify. Texas is the number one accent. How you doing, y'all? Welcome to Texas. I'll tell you, the one thing I love about Texas dames, they've got a great accent. Big hair, big boobs. As they, my fellow Texan female friends say, bigger the hair, closer to God. So love the Texas. And you know what? They're so friendly. You go into any of the department stores, well, hello there, darling. How can I help you? Oh, you're looking for a shirt or some trousers? Follow me, dear. They are very, very friendly. They are very, in fact, that's, I just received a, uh, a text right now from a Texas dame that said, I'm listening to you right now, General. I agree. Get on an airplane and get over here. I got the Texas harem rounded up, lassoed, ready to go. All right. What do you think number two and number three? You will never guess number two and number three. Guaranteed. Number two would be, let's say, Midwest. 
I would say South. That would be, I would say Texas number one, then mm -hmm. the South. You know, Georgia, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Hi, y'all. Wrong. Boston. Park the car what? in the yard. To me, there is nothing sexy about a Boston accent. Nothing. Women with Boston accents don't do a thing for me. Do not do a th By the way, I saw the movie a couple of nights ago, Get Hard. Remember that with Will Ferrell? Oh, gosh, I movie? forgot that movie. Yeah. Hysterical. Saw the movie. I'd seen that funny as hell when I saw it. I think it's been out, I don't know, four or five years. Saw it again. So that kind of reminded me. When I hear a female Boston accent, it's like the, it's the opposite of the movie. It does not get me hard. Boston is number two. How about number three? Again, be shocked if you guess correctly. Well, if you're going to say I'm going to be shocked, I'm going to go something like Philly. Close. New York. New York. Now, I, I've got to tell you, women with New York Jersey accents, don't, don't do it for me. Women with Boston accents, don't do it. Texas, Southeast, absolutely. Here's some of the other accents. Number four, Maine. We're going to Maine, have a lobster. That's kind of like a Boston accent. Number five is Chicago. Hey, welcome to Chicago. Oh, there's We're the Midwest. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of Midwest. Six is Mississippi. By the way, congratulations to Mississippi. They have moved ahead of Alabama on the education rankings. Mississippi has now gone from number 50 to number 49. So congratulations to Mississippi. But Mississippi, now, to me, Mississippi is kind of generic Southern. They're all the same. Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi. Seventh is Hawaii. I'm not sure I know. I kind of know what a Hawaiian accent. Eighth is Philly. Ninth is St. Louis. St. Louis is a very generic accent. Ten is California. The bottom of the list, the last five, Southern Ohioan. Now, Sergeant Steve, you're from Ohio. So Cincinnati, that's Southern mm -hmm. Ohioan. Yeah, that What's is. A, but I'm not sure. Cincinnati accents are kind of generic. I mean, they There's say no Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah, um, since, yeah. You know, but yeah, I don't think it's a heavy accent or anything. It's not. It's not. California Valley, the San Fernando Valley, Valley Girl, like awesome dude. Mm -hmm. Number 47 is Alaska. I guess they all, the, the, the accent that Sarah oh, Palin Sarah Palin, has. yeah. I can see Russia from my window. 48, this surprises me, Minnesota. Oh, yeah, you betcha. Oh, yeah, betcha. you betcha. In Fargo, we're going to Minnesota, going to Duluth and then St. Paul. Oh, you betcha, it's cold. Then we're going to go to uh, the Cheese Castle. So Minnesota, kind of close to a Wisconsin exit. Number 49 is New Jersey, and 50 is Long Islander. But I have to tell you, to me, number one, Texas. Number two, the Southeast. Number three, four, and five are the Southeast. Those are the sexiest accents, period. You get the hot Southern Bells, mm -hmm. the Southern Dames, or the Texas Dames in the harem, all is well. So I have to disagree with that. Did not see Detroit Buffalo in those uh, rankings. Very hard accent. Being from Buffalo, hi, how are you, John? A very hard A type of accent. Now, North America, they did not have any Canadian, eh? Okay, we're going to the fast lane, eh? Then we're going to get some crullers and donuts and coffee, eh? That's the Molson, so Canada, eh? Yeah, exactly. You know, the organization, eh? So Canada, <laughs> uh, there's some hot Canadian dames that have some nice accents. They're, they're all set. All right. Two booze-related items. We talked about tequila for a Cinco de Mayo show. Good news for those of you that are tequila fans that would like to sleep at the world's only hotel in a tequila factory. It is called the Mates Hotel de Barecas, which is located in the town appropriately of Tequila, tequila, or tequila Mexico. 
The hotel claims to be the world's first to be located within a tequila factory. But here is what is interesting. You sleep in giant tequila barrels at the Matices Hotel de Baracas. Can you imagine Mick the Brit? I mean, Mick the Brit loves to swim in his booze, in his Guinness, in his uh, vodka, in his whiskey, in his gin. Can you imagine the excitement Mick the Brit would have sleeping in a tequila, tequila barrel? No word, however, if there's actually tequila in that barrel that you sleep in. So interesting on that. Now, this is another interesting story involving some booze. An American Airlines flight attendant, a sky waitress, showed up for work reeking of booze. 64-year-old flight attendant, I will not bring up her name, even though it's been publicly, uh, publicly reported, but uh, definitely looks like she should probably have retired a little bit, looking a little bit haggard. She appeared intoxicated when she was stopped by security at London's Heathrow Airport before her flight back to her Dallas, Texas base. The security officer initially told the flight attendant to step aside because her bag was rejected during x-ray screening, but they could smell a strong hint of alcohol on her breath. They brought some more police officers there. The toxicology report found she was more than four times the legal limit allowed in the UK for flight cruise. She uh, was ordered to pay $1,200 in fines and lawyer's fees. Now, there is a subplot to this story. If this woman was four times the legal limit showing up for her, her flight back to Dallas, working the flight back on American Airlines, there's only one possible explanation. Sergeant Steve, do you know what it is? Uh, she was out with Mick the Brit. Correct. Out with Mick the Brit drinking all night. There's fueling up. As General, I was fueling up for the, for the return flight back. There's no doubt in my mind, if she was four times the legal limit, she was fueling up with Mick the Brit all night. And if she was four times the legal limit, Mick the Brit probably 12 to 14 times the legal limit. No well, and as short as he is and small as he is. Mick is compact. Well, we can't say short. Mick is, Mick is compact-sized. Vertically yes, challenged. <laughs> get the man a phone book so we can see him when we're at the live shows. That we really we have to get him a high chair because otherwise we can't see Mick the Brit. So interesting. The poor dame was out with Mick the and you know what? This looks like Mick's the Brit's type too. I mean, she's a little zoftig, a little haggard, a little on the uh, little on the older side. You know, this would be perfect for Mick the Brit. No ifs, ands, or buts. Interesting story I want to relate to you. And I've always talked about the PC police, we now have OSS, Offensive Speech Syndrome. Now, all of a sudden, on college campuses, if somebody doesn't like the subject matter, somebody disagrees, if you're a supporter of a certain candidate or a certain position, and a college student feels triggered, microaggressed, they need a safe space, they can't simply say, okay, we have somebody with a divergent opinion than we do. No problem. We can debate. We can discuss it. Nope. Now we have to remove them from campus. They have to be shunned, can't appear anywhere on campus. They have to be fired. Get rid of them. This happened to me on a personal level this week. I happened to be over at the Davidoff of Geneva Store and Lounge. There were several people from the Davidoff corporate offices that I happened to see. I visited Tommy Diadio, the general manager of the Tampa Davidoff Store and Lounge, 
for Corona Cigars and the executive senior executive VP of Spirit Procurement for Corona Cigars in the Davidoff Store and Lounge in Tampa. So we were chit-chatting about a couple of potential show ideas in terms of spirits. And as I'm about to leave with Pendragon's Royal Baron, Puppy Baron, who comes with me, accompanies me, I see a gentleman, maybe in his, looked like he was early, late 20s, early 30s, and he said, Cigar Dave, how are you? Looking good. I said, oh, thank you. He's like, uh, he goes, used to listen to your show all the time. And my reply was, used to? What do you mean used to listen to my show all the time? You should be listening to my show all the time. Mandatory. And as you all know, those of you that are alphas that are listening, you know I provide exceptional advice on a multitude of topics, whether it is pleasure, whether it is life, whether it is politics, dames. I'm a cornucopia of vast knowledge. So I said, what do you mean you used to listen to me? He said, well, General, you support Donald Trump, and I don't like Donald Trump, so I don't listen anymore. I replied, let me get this straight. I support Donald Trump, therefore you will not listen to the show. What, what, before the Donald Trump, before I supported Donald Trump, what did you like about the show? Oh, I love you talked about cigars and spirits and the alpha male lifestyle, take on the enemies of pleasure. So you do not listen because I support Donald Trump. Correct. I said, okay, so may I assume you supported Hillary Clinton? He said, no, I supported Gary Johnson. At which point I said, wow, the first Gary Johnson supporter I've ever met in person. He had a chuckle out of that. And I said, I then followed up. I said, well, do I talk about Donald Trump incessantly or too much on the show? He said, no, 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 no. Just the fact that you support and like Donald Trump. Now, this is very interesting. This is the same thing that is happening now on college campuses. The same thing that is happening at various work environments where if somebody has a divergent opinion from you, and when I talk about you, I'm talking about primarily the left-leaning Dems or Libs, socialists, the Clinton supporters, the Bernie Sanders. Primarily, we're seeing people that have a more liberal view, the progressives, if you will. And we're seeing this now across the country. And I believe this stems from the millennial Gen Z entitlement syndrome. Everybody gets a trophy, everybody participates, everybody's told they're great, they're wonderful, and they start to believe that everything that they think, they believe, they say is right, is correct. They've never been challenged on any of their opinions, they've never been challenged on a debate, and so consequently when somebody that you disagree with you want to engage in debate, and I am more than happy to engage in those that I disagree with in a debate, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. My debating skills, I happen to think, are exceptional. Doesn't necessarily mean that I may always be correct, but I believe that if I'm taking a stand, that I, I base my debate on fact, always on fact, never on hearsay, never on what I think, based on fact. So if somebody tells me we're going to engage in a debate, and he said he says to me, we're going to debate the weather. I say that it is cloudy outside today. Well, if I look outside and I see, as I am right now, that we've got blue skies, 
My reply is, I'm happy to debate you. And the fact is that I can prove empirical evidence there is no clouds, it is blue skies. So when you have the evidence, when you have the facts on your side, no problem. You can beat pretty much anybody in a debate as long as you have proper skills and can make coherent statements and sentences and arguments. You have to be able to piece together your arguments. It's like a puzzle. You have to be able to get from point A to point B in a rational manner. No problem. Can do it all the time, can do it all day. I enjoy doing it. But we are seeing now huge numbers of kids, millennials, Gen Zs, whatever other generation you want to bring up on college campuses that are number one brainwashed from the time they're in grade school and high school and college from these professors, that all of a sudden, if somebody disagrees, you have a divergent viewpoint, then all of a sudden, number one, they're the enemy. Number two, they shouldn't even be allowed to speak on campus because they're offended and they're triggered. And number three, the administration, by allowing somebody to speak on campus, even though we have free speech as guaranteed under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the American Constitution, therefore, if a school or a business allows somebody to engage in a debate or, or speak with a divergent viewpoint of the kids that are on campus, all of a sudden the school and the administrators are sanctioning hate, sanctioning evil talk. Nothing could be further than the truth. And I've stated this many times on this show. When I was a student at Syracuse University, Jesse Jackson came to speak on campus at Hendricks Chapel. There's maybe 1,200 tickets distributed. I got tickets. There was about five, six of us from my dorm floor. We went. Half of us thought Jesse Jackson was great. Half of us did not. Everybody there, whether you agreed or disagreed, was polite. We listened to what Jesse Jackson had to say. When we disagreed, nobody booed. Nobody was rude from the audience. Nobody heckled him. When he said things that people liked, people applauded. Even when he said things that eh, some people didn't agree with, there was some tepid applause from a few of his ultra-extreme ultra supporters. But at the end of the day, everybody left. We heard what he had to speak, just as the same thing took place when there were conservatives or Republicans or you know diehard uh, uh, ultra-liberals that were on campus. People went, we listened, and then... My fellow classmates and I, and doormates, we went in and had a few beers, got some wings over at the varsity, and we proceeded to debate about the speech. We didn't yell at each other. We didn't berate each other. We were polite. We used rational, intelligent argument. It's going out the wayside today. Gone. Here's a perfect example. Seven days after urging the crew of the aircraft carrier Harry S. Truman, very fine president. The command master chief, command master chief Jonas Doyle Carter, stepped down from his post. Why? Because he told or he asked the crew members aboard the Harry S. Truman, the aircraft carrier Harry S. Truman, to clap like we're at a strip club. Now that's a joke. That is humorous. That's funny. Hey, I want everybody to clap. We're going to welcome the vice president. Clap like you're at a strip club. Oh, no. 
Oh, no, 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 no. In the wake of that strip club quip, Lieutenant Commander Laura Steger, the Truman spokeswoman, called Carter's words inappropriate and said the issue was being addressed by Truman's leadership. And following a brief Tuesday announcement by Pentagon officials that Carter had resigned and was pursuing retirement, Truman's official Facebook page published prepared statements from both Carter, the senior enlisted sailor, and his skipper, Captain Nick Deanna. Now, I have to tell you this. We are going to ruin a Master Chief's career over one innocuous comment? Clap like we're at a strip club? Are the members of the U.S. Armed Forces, the senior leadership, are they a bunch of giant pussycats now? Meow, meow? Are they that offended? I'm sorry if a woman said, hey, look, you know, that's kind of offensive. Well, you're in the Army. It's a joke. A joke. You know what? Tell the ladies, clap like you're at Neiman Marcus. Clap like there's a 40% off sale at Saks. Clap like you're getting free products at uh, uh, Sephora. And then, of course, the ladies would have been, oh, that's great. I love that. Yes, we're going to clap. This is how pathetic this country has become. Everybody is too sensitive. Everybody is offended. It is absurd. And I've got more stories. When I come back, I'm going to spend time on this. Williams College students demand censorship on campus because free speech harms. Huh? George Washington High School in the People's Republic of California considers removing George Washington murals. Why? Because students are traumatized. Jay Johnson, former Department of Homeland Security Secretary under President Obama, withdrawn with, uh, withdrew as commencement speaker for USC and California Law School. Why? Because students had a problem with his administration policy. Give me a break. Let us grow a set in this nation. The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is a Perdomo Habano Reserve Bourbon Barrel Aged Vertical Sampler, including the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Aged Connecticut. This medium-bodied Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper offers a rich, creamy smoke with a buttery, smooth finish. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. 
Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. The general has just illuminated the no pleasure police sign. Enemies of pleasure may now return to their miserable lives. Well, I want to continue talking about the OSS, Offensive Speech Syndrome. Everybody is offended now. This country has become a giant, nadless, wussified group of oversensitive wimps. Again, the Master Chief of the aircraft carrier, Harry S. Truman, before a visit of Vice President Mike Pence, tells the crew, clap like we're at a strip club. What happens? Oh, that's offensive. We're going to strip him. He's going to retire after a long career over one innocuous statement. Williams College students demand censorship on campus because, get this, free speech harms. Now, instead of college administration saying, we believe in free speech, if you have a problem with free speech, grow a set, grow up, but we're not going to change our free speech policies. Liberals, conservatives, Democrats, uh, Republicans, socialists, communists, you want to speak on campus? Fine. We are a forum for ideas. You can agree, you can disagree, but we allow a free flow of ideas that is protected under the United States Constitution. So now Williams College is planning to review and revise its policy due to student outrage over a faculty petition to adopt principles in favor of free speech on campus. So think about this. The faculty is saying, we want free speech, but the students saying, no, we can't have that. Words are, could be violent. Student protesters at Williams College claiming that free speech harms minorities and therefore must be curtailed. How on earth does free speech harm minorities? Now, there's a, diff- a, a big difference between hateful derogatory speech and free speech. I don't think the college advocates some nutcase coming on saying, hey, let's kill all minorities and uh, let's not provide equal rights to minorities. That's not what we are talking about here. But if somebody says, look, I don't believe in quotas. I don't believe that just like what's going on with the SATs, now they want to have some sort of score where if you come from a difficult background, a socioeconomic background, they're going to give you more points. I debate that all day on college campuses. Now all of a sudden, oh, that's going to be offensive to minorities. This is absurd. College students, these are adults, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. They're afraid of free speech. A high school in San Francisco, People's Republic of California, George Washington High School, considering removing Two George Washington murals, 83-year-old murals, by the way, because 
the artwork traumatizes students and community members. The students are essentially arguing, trying to make the case, that George Washington and the Founding Fathers, their belief in slavery and their ideas at the time, are traumatizing students today. Those murals have been in the high school for over eight decades. Now all of a sudden, depicting American history, our founding forefathers, is politically incorrect. Now other officials are saying, well, they're offensive to blacks and to Native Americans. This is getting to be absurd. Now all of a sudden, what we're going to see is people saying, well, George Washington, even though he was the father of our country and led the Revolutionary War, was the first president, well, we don't like what he had to say, and we don't like his views at the time. Therefore, we're going to take all the names off, any depictions, any statues. We're going to revise history. No freaking way. Revisionist history is a very dangerous, slippery slope. We're seeing it uh, in, in the United Kingdom. There was a Winston Churchill exhibit at a museum. Big giant picture of him over the, a very famous picture of him with a cigar in his mouth. Well, when you went to the museum, giant, giant picture, I mean giant banner up above as you entered, Famous picture, but the cigar was photoshopped out. I mean, next do we, do the Germans say, well, you know, really the, the concentration and death camps were offensive, so let's just photoshop them out of the pictures. We do not revise history. History is history. It is what it was. We do not change it. Contrary to what some of these uh, nutcase whack jobs would like. Now here's another example of offensive speech syndrome. The former Homeland Security Secretary under President Obama, Jay Johnson, was scheduled to be the commencement speaker for the University of Southern California Law School. However, the dean of the law school, Dean Andrew Guzman, said in an email to faculty and staff that he informed Secretary Johnson that some faculty and students have raised concerns about the immigration policies of the Obama administration and therefore about having him as our commencement speaker. Now, Secretary Johnson, I'm sure, was told about this, and he bowed out gracefully. Now, I don't agree with everything Jay Johnson did. I was not an Obama fan or supporter. I thought Jay Johnson bungled things at the border, should have been tougher. Now he's coming around, realizing there is a big crisis at the border. But I never in a million years would say, this man can't speak. Now, one thing I, dis I, I, I despise in politicians, when they're giving commencement addresses, don't make the speech political. When I graduated Syracuse in 1986, the senator of the senior senator of New York at the time, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, was our commencement speaker. He was great. He was not political in any way, shape, or form. He talked about his experiences when he was in college, about being a professor, some of the lessons you'll learn as you go out into the world. He was very good, non-political. 
The funny thing is, as I'm walking, my uh, folks and grandparents and sister and, and family had left, and I was going around to the north end of the Carrier Dome. And as I'm going down the hallway, there weren't too many people. I happened to look inside this open door, and there was a uh, like a green room, dressing room, and there was Senator Moynihan taking off his robe, you know, the, the black robe that uh, you wear during commencement. He was there. There was nobody else around him. I walked in, stuck my head, and I said, Senator Moynihan. I introduced myself. I said, good speech. It wasn't political. He said, this, I remember exactly what he said to me. He said, that's my point. That's, that was exactly what I intended. I don't want to do a political speech. Just because I'm a politician doesn't mean we have to talk politically all the time. I said, well, it was very good, and we enjoyed it. I said, even though I'm a Republican. And he got a chuckle out of that. And he was very polite and very nice. But this is the problem today. All of a sudden now, if you disagree with somebody, you don't like their policies, you don't like uh, uh, what, what, what they had for breakfast, all of a sudden, we can't have them as a speaker. I hate when politicians are political at commencement speeches. Goes for anyone. Not the time to be political. It is a time to celebrate students' accomplishments. It is a time to provide nuggets of wisdom. Give good stories. Talk about when you were at college, some of the things you learned, some of the things along the way that have helped you. I, I remember a few years ago, there was one of the, I think, admirals in the United States Navy, and he spoke, I think it was to Texas A&M. Maybe it's three, four years ago. And he said, one of the things I'm going to tell you is always make your bed. Make your bed when you leave in the morning. That way, when you come home, you will have a nice, fresh, crisp bed that you can lie down, clean. It sets the tone for the day. Now, that is good advice. Not political, not military. We need more of that. But for the USC law students and faculty that have a problem with Jay Johnson speaking, what kind of giant pussycats are you, uh, are, you, are you pushing out of USC Law School? No way in hell would I ever want a lawyer that said, oh, I was offended by the possible commencement speaker, but I'm going to do a great job representing you. My answer would be, get the F out. Get the hell out of here. Get out of my office. I don't want a nadless beta as my attorney. Get the frick out. And by the way, I said, get the F out. We did not use any profanity here on the Cigar Dave Show, only on our podcasts. Here's another example. Brazilian President Bolsonaro announced a few weeks ago he was canceling a scheduled trip to New York City to receive an award after employees at the original venue hosting him protested, corporate sponsors dropped out, and sack of garbage Mayor Bill de Blasio referred to the conservative head of state as dangerous. Really? He's dangerous? Why, uh, de Blasio? Because you disagree with him? Because he doesn't agree with your dumbass, ridiculous, extremist, socialist positions? By the way, funniest joke I heard all this week. Mayor Bill de Blasio running for president. Good. More. Let's have more in the pot to whack each other on the Democrat primary. But the Brazilian-American Chamber of Commerce had planned to honor uh, Brazilian President Bolsonaro at its annual award for his work to improve economic ties to the United States after two decades of socialist rule in Brazil. The event's going to go on, but not with Bolsonaro as the speaker. 
This is absurd. People now are offended. Here's the thing. If you're offended, don't go. Don't buy a ticket. But wait, there's more. The campus chief of police at Mount Holyoke College has been placed on leave. Why? Why? Did Chief Daniel Hecht, did he rough up a student? Did he molest a student? Did he whip out his gun threatening a student? Was there financial improprieties? No. He supports President Donald J. Trump. Students dug up tweets from Chief Daniel Hecht, which showed he thinks favorably of Trump, supports the National Rifle Association, the NRA, and supports a border wall along the Mexican-American border. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. Oh, the humanity. Now, all of a sudden, members of the Mount Holyoke administration held a forum for students to engage with the newly hired chief of police. They questioned about his personal views amid tension and tears, and that students didn't like some of his tweets. He apologized if any of the tweets may have offended anyone, including saying the phrase build a wall was a huge mistake. No, it wasn't. And if a student is offended by that, too bad. Too bad. Tell the, uh, the, the lads or the, uh, the ladies to grow a set. Not enough, the apologies. So what happens? The president of the college, Sonia Stevens, said that Chief Daniel Hecht was resigning because members of our community have expressed concern about the ability of the chief to develop the level of trust required to engage in community policing. Never mind the fact that he had an impeccable and stellar record at Denison University in Ohio, that he has a military background. Two months on the job, boom, gone. What does it say about the president of Mount Holyoke College, Sonia Stevens? How about her coming out with a statement saying, here at Mount Holyoke, we believe in diversity of opinion. Diversity of students, diversity of opinion. Just because the chief believes, as a supporter of the NRA, of President Trump and building a wall, does not mean he cannot execute his duties. Just like if you supported Hillary Clinton, favor open immigration, and despise the NRA, that doesn't mean that you as a professor or an administrator can't do your job either. But instead, nope, we have to run them out of town. I mean, this is like the uh, McCarthyism back in the 50s. Enough is enough. It is getting to be absolutely absurd. Now, freedom of speech, things that should be so innocuous, things that people across the world die for, would give their right arm, their left arm, their two legs, freedom of speech, freedom to vote, freedom to assemble, freedom of religion. Now it's offensive here in the United States. We are raising a group of giant pathetic beta wussies. When will parents start to tell their kids or administrators at college tell these students, sorry, we believe and promote free speech. If you find that offensive, go to another school. Leave. 
We promote that and we're not going to change that. You have the right to express your opinion, as do people that disagree or are diametrically opposed to your view, whether that is a student, an administrator, a chief of police, or a faculty member. We 100% encourage diversity of opinions in a civil manner. This is a result of telling kids when they are little, you are perfect. You can do no wrong. You are an angel. You are a champion. Never mind we don't keep score. Never mind that you can't hit a ball if it wasn't on a tee. Never mind. You're still as good as the guy that can hit a 100-mile fastball, hit home runs off a pitcher throwing 100-mile-an-hour heat. Everybody's the same. No, everybody is not the same. There are various lots in life. There are winners. There are losers. There are wealthy. There are middle class that are impoverished. There are right wing, left wing, middle of the road. That's diversity. That's what we have. Everybody has a fair shot in this country to make something of themselves. That doesn't mean that everybody is going to be a millionaire, billionaire, zillionaire, or gazillionaire. Bernard Sanders is a millionaire, even though he rails against those wealthy people, people that have succeeded or have attained wealth. But now that Bernard has attained millionaire status, he just goes after the billionaires, zillionaires, and gazillionaires. All people want in this country is a fair shot. But all of a sudden now, oh, we can't have people with a fair shot. Everybody's got to be considered perfect. Everybody is a, is a, we don't need grades anymore because everybody is wonderful and grades will discourage, it'll encourage too much competition. We don't have enough competition on grade school levels and at high school levels. That is the problem. Kids do not know how to win with dignity and grace and lose with dignity, grace, and class. They don't know how to recover from loss and say, hey, you know, I didn't, I didn't win at this game. I didn't, uh, didn't get a, a, an A on this grade. I need to work harder. It's going to challenge me. It's going to motivate me. Instead, now, when things don't go their way, they snap, they take a gun, and they shoot up their schools. The violence we see from the millennial and Gen Z generation, the protesting of people who disagree with that generation on college campuses, all a result of the entitlement generation. Congratulations, parents and schools. You have now received and experienced the spoils of your victory. It is indeed pathetic. Let's stand up for free speech. Let's stand up for people's right to have different opinions, whether you agree or not. We as alpha males don't have this problem. We can debate, we can argue, and we can do so intelligently and rationally. The Constitution provides free speech. We will always be a safe space for free speech on The Cigar Dave Show. Litation and libation ceremony is next. Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the general enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. America is under attack. 
basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. As cigar connoisseurs, we love going to our cigar retailer, walking into the humidor, checking out the sights, the aromas, seeing what's new in the world of cigars. Well, I've got a great way that you can get three magnificent cigars shipped to you every month without leaving your home or your office. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club, where every month you will get three fantastic cigars shipped to you. For May 2019, we're featuring the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-Aged Cigars, a vertical sampler of their Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-Aged Connecticut, Sungrown, and Maduro. Nick Perdomo has taken the combination of bourbon and cigars to the next level. Six-year-old wrapper leaves, charred oak barrels, they're aged for 6 to 14 months. The results are spectacular. Even though the filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos is the same across all three cigars, the wrapper gives it a slightly different taste. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get three great cigars delivered to you every month. Go to CigarDave.com and join now. For our litation and libation ceremony today, I'm going to pull out a Macanudo Cafe Hampton Court, nice Corona 5.5 by 44. I love this cigar, very smooth. Edgar Cullman of General Cigar, this was his favorite. Connecticut Shade Wrapper, Mexican San Andrean Binder, Dominican and Mexican Filler. It is mild, it is creamy, it is smooth. About 10 bucks a cigar, still a classic. And I've got a cigar in an ashtray in microphone position number two, a longtime friend, colleague, and dean of Tampa sports, Steve Dumig, passed away on Thursday at the age of 64. I've got a cigar in his memory. When we come back in the next hour, I will talk about him and also Doris Day, who passed away this week. So I've got my cigar, and I've also got my libation, some Belvedere Vodka. It was Steve's favorite first Super premium vodka created from 600 years of Polish vodka making tradition. 100% Polish rye and water. Very, very smooth. So I'm going to cut the end of my Macanudo Cafe. I'm going to toast the foot of this cigar. And as I do, up and rotate, I'm going to pour a little bit of Belvedere vodka in my snifter as I puff and rotate. Oh, very smooth. Nice. Mm. Macanudo Cafe, still a classic. Let me take a sip and say cheers to the memory of Steve Dumig. He will be missed. And I will talk about uh, Steve in the next hour and Doris Day as well. Take a sip. I'm not a big vodka drinker, but this rye vodka is pretty smooth. Very clean. Now I know why Steve liked it. 
Hour two of the Cigar Dave Show is next. This is AMEN, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. From Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure friendly hotlines are open. 877 Dave 007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General Cigar As I take a puff of my Macanudo Cafe Hampton Court, five and a half by 44 Corona, comes in a tube, very, very nice, pleasant, smooth, creamy. Sometimes we overlook these classic cigars, these oldie but goodies. Mm. And let me wash it down with just a little sip of Belvedere Vodka. Not a big vodka drinker, but in the memory of Longtime Tampa sports broadcaster, friend, colleague, Steve Dumig, who I will speak about momentarily. I'm going to take a sip here. A very nice Polish vodka that uses rye. So very interesting. And in fact, Steve always uh, said the reason he liked Belvedere did not give him a headache in the morning. Good enough reason for me. Before I continue, a very happy birthday to Cigar Sister Lynn celebrating her birthday today, May 18th. So a very happy birthday to Cigar Sister Lynn, Cigar Mother Piera up uh, celebrating with her up in New York. So I am sure they are going to go for a lovely dinner and uh, have a nice cake and enjoy the day. So happy birthday, Lynn, and many more. On Thursday... Received the news that a longtime friend, 22, 23-year friend, colleague, the dean of Tampa Bay Sports Broadcasting, Steve Dumig, passed away. Steve endured a very difficult two-year battle with brain cancer. When it was first uh, announced two years ago, it really hit everybody like a lead brick. Uh, Everybody's shocked. I cannot tell you at the time, for many years, uh, Steve and I were in the same building um, actually twice. People don't realize this. Steve started his career at Sports Radio 910 WFNS, I want to say back in 1991. He was a former PGA golf pro, taught lessons, somehow was paired up with uh, Scott Brantley, a former University of Florida football player, and uh, the rest was history. He was on for five years, and then WFNS was acquired by the same company where The Cigar Dave Show started, Cox Media, where we are now back on our flagship station in Tampa, 102.5 FM, The Bone. And so I got to know Steve very well. Initially, when they purchased WFNS, Steve and I got to know each other pretty well. And then the stations were sold, and then we were reunited again when I moved my show to 970 WFLA, owned by J-Corps Broadcasting, and J-Corps Broadcasting put 1250 WDAE on the air at the time and brought Steve in as the afternoon host from 3 to 6 or 3 to 7. 
and then they moved the frequency to 620. So Steve and I have known each other for, I want to say, 23 years, almost 24 years. And for, what, 21 years, 22 years, we were in the same building. So and my office was in the same building in addition to our Command Center Alpha Studios. So I would always mosey in before, either before he started his show when he was prepping around 1.30, 2 o'clock in his office, uh, or just before he would go on, 10 minutes before he'd go on, I would pop in the studio, pop into his office. We would talk life, politics, sports, share a few jokes, most of them that were not G-rated in any way, shape, or form. Always had a lot of laughs. Uh, we'd get together for lunch now and then. Without any question, Steve had the most vast contacts, not only locally in Tampa for sports, but nationally as well. When something was going on in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers locker room or the Tampa Bay Lightning or Tampa Bay Rays or University of Florida, Florida State, Steve Dumig had the connections. That is a dying art today. Most sports talk hosts or presenters do not have that one-on-one relationship with players, know what's going on in the locker room. Steve did. Administrators, executives would talk to him quietly. Coaches would talk to him quietly. Players, he knew the story. And nobody did more to promote hockey in the Tampa Bay area in West Central Florida than Steve. Steve was an early supporter of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Big supporter. Phil Esposito will tell you who founded the Tampa Bay Lightning that hockey would not have succeeded in Tampa if it were not for Steve really promoting hockey, educating the sports public about hockey. I remember the first game that I went to and the Lightning opened up, I think against the New York Rangers. And I'm trying to remember what year it was. I want to say it was 19, maybe it was 1992. It was 1992. It was at the fairgrounds. I had season tickets. And the reason I had season tickets, another story, is because at one time I owned some radio stations in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, I carried Florida State football. And the man who syndicated Florida State football got together with Phil Esposito to promote an exhibition game between the Los Angeles Kings and the Pittsburgh Penguins at the Thunderdome at the, or the Suncoast Dome at the time. And he called me and said, look, will you carry the game? I'm like, look, I love hockey. Grew up in Buffalo. I hope we get a team. Absolutely. And then, but I said with one stipulation, if we get a team, I, my station gets the games for this area, for the area that I, my stations were in. He said, Dave, done. And he never had a contract true to his word. In fact, I've got a plaque from the first year that Phil Esposito uh, uh, presented me in appreciation for carrying the games and supporting the Lightning. And Steve, and Phil Esposito will tell you this, hockey would not have gone anywhere if it were not for Steve educating. And the first game I attended, I'll never forget, there's an icing call, people start cheering. Offsides, people start cheering. People had no clue what was going on. And much of the reason that Tampa Bay has become such an exceptional hockey town and knowledgeable hockey city is because of Steve Dumig. So Steve was uh, made an appearance back on the air for a short time, January, February of 2018, and then focused on, uh, on, on his recovery and on treatments up at Duke, and unfortunately received the news that on Thursday morning he had passed away. A big loss, again, not only as a friend, but 
if you ever listen to Steve on the air, he could be caustic, he could be opinionated. Whether he was like Howard Cosell, whether you agreed or disagreed, you liked him or you didn't, you always listened. And he was knowledgeable. Hockey, football, the number of people that he had contacts with off the charts. And I'm going to give you one story. When the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hired Greg Schiano, Greg Schiano, as head coach, came from Rutgers, came in with a lot of promise. It turned into a disaster quickly. He treated the players like they were five-year-olds or grade schoolers. And there's a big difference between college and pro. All of a sudden, when the pros are making more than the coach, it gets a little tougher to motivate the players and the players to take notice. There are many coaches that do it well. Greg Schiano was not one of those players, not suited to be NFL. You know, he thought he was Bill, Par- Bill Parcells or Bill Je- Belichick, thought he could come in, never won anything, and basically act and coach like a prick. And they were disastrous. And Steve went after him. And Steve had players that told him what was going on. Well, it got back to Coach Ciano and to the team, and they wanted to try to clear the air. So I'm in my office late one day. It was probably about 6 o'clock, just before Steve was off the air. Most everybody in the building at the time was gone. There's somebody at the front, and I'm getting ready to leave, and as I get ready to walk out the front door, I see a guy in a hoodie. I mean, a hoodie over, like a you know, hoodie over, like a gray hoodie. I'm like, wait a minute. That's the coach of the Buccaneers, Greg Schiano. Like very coming in like, like he was you know, conducting international espionage. And I said, what the hell is he doing here? Well, he wanted to arrange a sit-down with Steve because Steve was that influential on sports radio and in sports in general in the market. Probably the best-known sports broadcaster in the market, anybody, radio or TV by far. Well, as it turns out, I end up finding out through Steve a few days later. I said, was that Shiano that was in the building? He said it was. He wanted to come see me and try to set the air straight. We, we were in the conference room, didn't want anybody to know. It was very quiet. He said, hey, I'll, let's meet somewhere. I'll meet at the Bucks facility. Let's meet at a rest. Nope. Very, very clandestine. And he said, basically, I told him exactly what I thought, what I was hearing for an hour and a half, and gave it to him straight. And Shiano listened to him, disagreed with some things, and apparently the air was cleared. Well, that didn't stop Steve from criticizing Shiano, and uh, I think the damage was already done. But the mere fact that the head coach of a National Football League team would essentially make a pilgrimage to go see Steve Dumig, the big dog as he was known, to try to get some positive spin tells you everything you need to know about his stature and status and how highly respected he was in sports broadcasting and sports circles in town. So we will miss Steve. There's nobody that can take his place. There's nobody remotely close on the air on uh, any sports radio station. There's, what, two, three sports stations now in the Cigar City of Tampa. Nobody even close. If Steve was a 10, the closest right now is about a 1.5. And that's not a knock against them. It's simply a testament to how incredible, how vast his knowledge was, how vast his sources were, and how entertaining he was. 
And I, I after the Kentucky Derby, I said, man, I would love to have hear, heard what Steve would say in his opening monologues because his opening monologues, the first 15 minutes of his show, especially after a controversial sports call or play or game or win or loss or championship, something significant in sports, must, appointment must listen. Absolute appointment listening. And I said to myself after the Kentucky Derby, because Steve was a great horseman too, I said, I would love to hear what Steve had to say. Now, I know what Steve would have said. No doubt about it. He would have said, I don't care if this is a big race or not. The horse came way out, came way out of his lane, could have caused serious damage, and that was no ifs, ands, or buts. The horse was spooked. When it comes across like that, no choice. The stewards did the right thing. And, of course, he would have taken calls pro and con and would have had experts on, but it would have been a great three hours of radio. Nobody, unfortunately, today in this market, in the Tampa Bay market, was knowledgeable enough after the Kentucky Derby to even broach the subject. So to Steve Dumig's uh, wife, Jennifer, his daughter, Jill, our condolences. May Steve rest in peace. Steve, the big dog, Dumig, 1954 to 2019. We will certainly miss your uh, broadcast acumen. We'll miss your entertaining style, your in-depth style, and I will miss our long Uh, Many long conversations that we had talking about life, politics, sports, and loads of loads of uh, politically incorrect, dirty jokes. Steve, my friend, rest in peace. And we also lost another icon this week, a Hollywood icon, a legendary dame in show business, motion pictures, Doris Day. When I was just a little girl my mother what will I be will I be pretty will I be rich here's what she said to me just a silky smooth elegant voice a lovely dame back in her prime in her heyday she was a knockout wholesome honey voiced tremendous movie star you don't see that anymore passed away carmel valley california where she had uh, lived for many many years she was 97 known as a bubbly blonde singer and actress she appeared in 39 films including the Oscar-winning 1959 legendary movie Pillow Talk with Rock Hudson. A great movie. Pillow Talk. Showed what a great actress she was, singer. Rock Hudson tried to portray himself as masculine. Who knew he was a little light in the loafers? But this is the open to Pillow Talk. Better than one. That's 
great movie. If you have never seen the movie, we are going to post a link to YouTube. And even if you're an alpha male, you will enjoy this movie. With Rock Hudson, just a classic movie. Basically where she's an interior designer and they're on a party line. I mean, party lines. Who's got party lines anymore? Nobody. Everybody's got private lines. But he plays, he's the same guy, but he's rough and gruff. On one hand, but he plays this other character named Rex, who's visiting from Texas and tries to woo Doris Day. So a double life kind of deal, but a very, very famous uh, movie. She played in some other roles, other uh, uh, movies. Calamity Jane, she uh, uh, played in The Touch of Milk. Uh, uh, Touch of Mink played a young woman courted by a wealthy Manhattan businessman, really became the symbol of feminine innocence wholesomeness, if you will, but just that sex appeal, girl next door sex appeal in the 50s and 60s. She was born to a music teacher and a housewife on April 3rd, 1922 as Doris Marianne Keppelhoff in Cincinnati, Ohio. I wonder if she likes Skyline Chili. Who knows? But uh, just a great actress. In fact, she began singing at a Cincinnati radio station, then moved on to a New York nightclub, and a band leader changed her name to Doris Day to fit on a marquee at age 17. She uh, mar- married for the first time, and uh, career took off beginning in 1947. Known as a very big animal rights activist, known in, the, uh, in Carmel, California, and Monterey. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal actress. You got to see Pillow Talk. It really is... A just a great movie, and he, there's two. There's one scene that I want to play that just shows you not only was she a great actress and a sexy, seductive actress, but she also had a great singing voice. Just a very a lush singing voice. Here's the bar scene. But before we we, we play the music of her singing, here's the scene in which she basically tells the character Rex, played by Rock Hudson, who I'm sure had a tough time portraying that he was a heterosexual male. Who knew? I mean, think about it. How many movies did you see with Rock Hudson? Would you have ever guessed he was a little bit light in the loafers? Not that there's anything wrong with that. But would you ever thought he was LGBTQ, LMNOP? Not me. The guy reeked of, uh, you know, masculinity. So much for that uh, concept. In any event, she's basically, this character Rex from Texas is playing it very cool, not making a move. And so she seductively says to Rex, Don't you find me attractive? Why, yes, ma'am, of course. Well, then why haven't you ever... Ever what? I'm sorry, I feel so foolish. Well, no, no, go ahead. What's on your mind? Well, in all the times that we've been going out together... Mm Mm-hmm. You've been a perfect gentleman. Oh, I hope I have. Well, you have. Oh, and I appreciate it, Rex. I really do. But. Yes? Well, being such a perfect gentleman and all, it's. It's not very flattering. Oh, well, uh, ma'am, I I wouldn't want to do anything that might spoil our friendship. Is that all it is with us? Friendship? Ma'am, that's a direct question. I think it deserves a direct answer. And at 
this point, Rex goes in for the kiss with Doris Day. And continuing on the same scene, not only is she a great actress, she can sing as well with just a very lush voice. Let's hit the uh, song Roly Poly that was played during that scene. Jan sang. When I first played I on him, I laughed just like the rest. The more I saw, the more of him, the more I liked him best. Got a roly poly baby, point to him with pride. He's my roly poly baby, I'm satisfied. I call him Ya Ya Roly Poly, Ya Ya Roly Poly. Another one? Just to put my arms around him takes about a week. But when I get my arms around, we cuddle cheek to cheek. Got a roly poly baby, sweet as that. <laughs> he is just a roly poly, but so am I. I call her Yaya Roly Poly. The great Doris Day, and we are going to post the link to Pillow Talk. And she had some other great movies, and I'm sure that some of the movie networks will start showing some marathon uh, days of all of the Doris Day movies. But just elegant, sexy, still wholesome, but just had that, you know, when I tell a woman she's a dame, that means she's elegant, sophisticated, smart, refined. That is Doris Day encapsulated. Doris Day was a dame in every sense of the word. We don't see those dames or that those legendary icons in Hollywood or in show business anymore. Unfortunately, I think the last of that era is gone. Doris Day, rest in peace at the age of 97. And to my longtime good friend, Tampa Sports Dean and legend, Steve Dumig, rest in peace, my friend. I'm raising a glass of Belvedere to you right now. This month's Cigar Dave Officers Club selection is a Perdomo Habano Reserve Bourbon Barrel Aged Vertical Sampler, including the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Aged Maduro. This medium to full-bodied smoke has rich, robust flavors and notes of dark cocoa and roasted coffee. Get cigars like these shipped directly to you every month by joining the Cigar Dave Officers Club today. Get details at CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. 
The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. of steel the general cigar, cigar Dave. Dave. all right for the last half hour we are going to shift gears a little bit I'm gonna go back into the world of aviation I am not done excoriating Boeing on their handling of the 737 Max disasters which has turned into a giant fiasco for Boeing. what an embarrassment the CEO a few weeks ago at their annual meeting, Arrogant, aloof, not taking any, any uh, 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 blame for what took place. And the board of directors, after that meeting, should have fired the CEO of Boeing, who, by the way, is in, started as an engineer at Boeing. And Boeing now is saying, oh, no, no, we engineering and passenger safety are number one. They are liars. The senior executives of Boeing that were complicit and involved in the 737 MAX design, the hurry-up of numerous systems instead of properly testing things, hiding the MCAS, the maneuvering uh, uh, system that was put on the airplane because the 737 MAX is an inherently unstable plane. Let me go back one, one, let me recap for you. Why is the 737 MAX a bad airplane. Why is the 737 MAX called what I'm saying is inherently unstable? What does that mean? Aircraft manufacturers design their aircraft to be stable, meaning that in level flight, in banks, when you put it into a bank, you put it into a climb or a descent, you trim the forces off, use your trim control, which counteracts the horizontal stabilizer or the rudder, the ailerons, and it, it stays in the configuration which you put it in. That's what every, every aircraft manufacturer wants, an inherently stable airplane. You don't want a plane that after you trim that airplane and it's in a climb, all of a sudden, boom, the nose is going to come down. Well, the 737 design, as I have said, is a design that goes back to 1967. It's a 52-year-old design that has never really been improved. What essentially Boeing has done on every model of the 737 that has been released, from the 737-100 to the 200 to the 300 to the 700 to the 800 to the 900, now to the 737 MAX, is essentially stretch and stretch and stretch the airplane. They put new engines... They kept the 
avionics, they've improved them to put what we call a glass cockpit, which are TV screens, essentially our LCD panels to, care, to show all the information. But because Boeing and the airlines that bought the 737, one of the big sales pitches Boeing made was, your pilots will not need any training, any additional training. If they're already certified in a Boeing 737-300 or a 700 or an 800, no problem. They can go right to the max. All they need is about an hour transition training. They can read in, in a manual or in an iPad. And Boeing was so confident of this that they put in a contract, in all their contracts, saying we will pay the airline, a mil- or any airline that buys the plane, a million dollars per airplane purchased in the event pilots have to go back in the simulator. So Boeing had a financial incentive not to release information about the MCAS system. Why? Well, all of a sudden, if every pilot at American, Southwest, and United, or any other airline has to go back into a simulator for an hour, two hours, to experience how to disable the MCAS system, to get used to the MCAS system, what can happen in the event of a failure? Well, million dollars per plane. Looking back on it, that would be a very small check that Boeing would have to write compared to the liability they will now have after the two 737 MAX crashes that occurred, uh, one in November, what was it, October, and the other in October, November, and the other just about uh, six, eight weeks ago. Boeing, every step of the way of that, of that 737 MAX, knew that they had a problem airplane on their hands. Part of the 737 MAX was they wanted to make it more efficient. We're going to stretch it. We're going to make it more efficient. Bigger engines. How to do that, unfortunately, wasn't so simple. Because Boeing 737s were built and designed for use in Europe initially at airports where they had no air stairs, no jetways, before there was the luggage conveyors that we see prevalent on airplane tarmac uh, or airport tarmac ramps all over the place today. They had to physically, the, the airline employees, the ground handlers, the baggage handlers, had to physically lift those bags up and put it in the back of the plane. Well, Boeing designed to make it easy, low to the ground. You wouldn't have to lift it 10, 12 feet in the air. So just lift it right up. Same thing, they had an air stair at the front. Well, that was great in the 60s and the 70s, but things changed in the 80s. But Boeing never wanted to change that plane because all the airlines that purchased them saying, hey, we, want, we don't want to spend more money on training. So every subsequent model that came out, all you needed was about an hour in a book, and that was it. Until the 737 MAX. The engines are so big that Boeing's engineers, the only way they could get those engines on the plane was to increase the height of the nose gear by about 8 to 12 inches and raise and, and bring forward the engines. So they had to raise the entire plane. They had to raise the nose gear, and they had to move the engines forward. When you do that, you change the center of gravity, the CG of an airplane. What does that mean in layman's terms? Meaning there would be a tendency of the nose to pitch up 
because the center of gravity was changed. So what did Boeing do? Instead of saying, this is not going to work. We've not totally changed the plane. We have to redesign the airframe. No, Boeing didn't want to do that because they promised airlines that would be out in a few years and no additional training, and Boeing didn't want to spend the, uh, the additional money. They decided not to do what's called a clean sheet design, which would have cost $10 billion, which is what they should have done in the first place. So what happened? They put in this... MCAS system, which basically pointed the nose down. In the event the nose became too heavy or, too, or, or pointed too high, unbeknownst to the pilots, this system would work in the background and lower the nose. Now, one thing, as a pilot, I can tell you, and every pilot, I speak for every pilot that flies an airplane, no pilot wants a surprise. No pilot wants something sprung on them while they're in the cockpit, while they're on the flight deck, while they're flying the airplane, an issue happening that they are not informed about. Everything should be disclosed and informed so that when they get into a cockpit, you know what can happen. Now, if somebody would have told the pilots about this MCAS system, two things would have happened. Number one, the pilots, unions and the pilots, and the airlines would have all said to Boeing, we need to put our pilots back into training for an hour or two in the simulator to experience what can happen if the MCAS system takes over or if there's an MCAS failure. Boeing didn't disclose it. They are criminal. That's the first thing. The second thing is, had the additional training, the pilots would have known exactly what to do. Boeing is saying, well, pilots should know what to do because of the trim. The, you disconnect the trim. It's a different system. And as you will find out a little bit later, just a few minutes, Boeing made a change on some very important uh, uh, knobs and, um, and levers that would have basically surprised the pilots. So what happens? Boeing doesn't tell the airlines. They don't tell the pilots. There's not a dual redundancy system where you have two sensors, which the MCAS system, there's two sensors built in, but only one is standard. The second is an option. Now think about this. That would be today like buying a car with airbags and seatbelts being optional or brakes being optional. When you have a system, you need to have two different measures. So if there is an imbalance, a light goes off in the cockpit saying there's a problem, issue. Be alert of this. Disconnect the system. Get on. Keep it on the ground. Have maintenance look at it. Boeing not only sold the second MCAS sensor as an option, they disconnected the warning light when the airlines that did pay for it for two uh, redundant MCAS uh, exterior probe sensors, they disconnected the mismatch light in the cockpit and didn't tell the pilots and didn't tell the airlines. Southwest didn't know about it. American didn't know about it. That is criminal. Now, there was released earlier this week audio between American Airlines pilots, representatives of American Airlines pilots, and Boeing senior executives. They had a uh, government... Uh, they had a senior vice president. In fact, uh, wait, I want to make sure I have the exact name here. It was uh, Boeing Vice President of Product Development and Future Airplane Development, Mike Sinnott. They had an engineer 
one of the senior engineers, and they also had a government affairs representative. So they had three Boeing clowns meeting with the American Airlines pilots. Less than one month after the Lion Air plane crashed and the Boeing execs got an earful from the American pilots, the pilots let Boeing have it. Cut one. We flat out deserve to know what is on our airplanes. I don't disagree. So the pilot's saying, we need to know. Boeing, oh, we, we, we don't disagree. Well, then why didn't Boeing tell the pilots? Why didn't Boeing tell the, air, uh, the, the airlines? They hit it. They hit it. Again, criminal. And the American Airlines pilots were angry that the MCAS system details not revealed to all the airlines that the existence of the system was even there until after the Lion Air crash. Cut to. These guys didn't even know the damn system was on the airplane, nor did anybody else. Now, what does that tell you? You're a pilot. You're not told that there's a system, a computerized system, that can override the flight controls, and you don't know about it? Pilots don't like surprises. And guess what? Neither do passengers. Passengers don't want surprises like this. They want to have confidence in an airliner. This is what Boeing VP of Product Development and Future Airplane Development, Mike Sinnott, who may be in an orange jumpsuit uh, at a federal penitentiary sooner rather than later, uh, said about Boeing hiding the MCAS system details. I don't know that understanding this system would have changed the outcome of this. You know, a million pilots are going to maybe fly this airplane and maybe one's going to see this ever. So we try not to overload the crews with information that's unnecessary so they actually know the information that we believe is important. So on one hand, he says, we don't want to overload the pilots with information they don't need to know. But he also says that understanding the system isn't important. When you transition as a pilot, whenever I have transitioned into a new airplane, you get a giant book. You learn every system on that airplane. Flying the plane is the easy part. It's knowing the systems. Electrical, hydraulic, braking, uh, fuel system. Every system on the airplane you need to know about. What happens if you have a generator or alternator failure? What happens if you have a fuel pump failure? What happens if an air conditioning or a generator goes out? You need to know all these items. And before you get a, uh, 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 depending on the weight of the airplane, if it's over 12,500 pounds, not only are you quizzed, before you get a type rating, not only are you quizzed with a ground portion of training going over the system, you have to explain to the instructor the systems, what happens in the event of a failure. It's a very long process, in addition to flying the airplane or flying the simulator. They hit it, not important, Boeing didn't think it was important enough for the men and women flying that airplane to know about that MCAS system? American pilots were not satisfied with Senate's answer. We're the last line of defense to be in that smoking hole, and we need the knowledge. They're 100% correct. So what did Boeing say about uh, making software changes to the MCAS system? Take a listen. We want to make sure we're fixing the right things. Yeah, I get that. That's, that's an important thing. We'll make sure we're fixing the right things. But we don't want to rush and do a crappy job fixing the right things. But we also don't want to fix the wrong things. Well, they fixed nothing. Because four months later, another plane goes down. An Ethiopian Air 737 MAX goes down when the MCAS system, the, the, uh, the, the probe, the exterior probe, 
gives a incorrect reading, causes the MCAS system to go off continuously. Continuously. Now, when I come back, I'll tell you about Boeing. They knew about the alert problems a year before telling the FAA. They altered key switches in the 737 MAX. Boeing engineers are saying that cost-cutting, relentless cost-cutting, and, and the pressure to get this airplane done sacrifice safety. And the question is, would you or I as a passenger ever get on board another 737 MAX? I can tell you my answer. Final and concluding segment of this edition of The Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar, like I do, in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth, it will entice you to enjoying more and more of the Vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. As cigar connoisseurs, we love going to our cigar retailer, walking into the humidor, checking out the sights, the aromas, seeing what's new in the world of cigars. Well, I've got a great way that you can get three magnificent cigars shipped to you every month without leaving your home or your office. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club, where every month you will get three fantastic cigars shipped to you. For May 2019, we're featuring the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-Aged Cigars, a vertical sampler of their Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Connecticut, Sun-Grown, and Maduro. Nick Perdomo has taken the combination of bourbon and cigars to the next level. Six-year-old wrapper leaves, charred oak barrels, they're aged for six to 14 months. The results are spectacular. Even though the filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos is the same across all three cigars, the wrapper gives it a slightly different taste. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get three great cigars delivered to you every month. Go to CigarDave.com and join now. Next week, our Memorial Day show that we will be conducting from the Bad Monkey Military Bar. It's a big uh, conference that comes into the Cigar City of Tampa dealing with Special Operations Forces. Thank you, Sergeant Steve. Special Operations Forces dealing with the Central Command. So we will have some great guests as we pay tribute to our men and women of the military. Memorial Day show next Saturday. Hard to believe Memorial Day is a week from Monday. 
Don't forget, if you're a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, the April, correction, the May 2019 selection of the Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel. <laughs> Let me try that one more time. I'm trying to do it too quickly. The Perdomo Habano Bourbon Barrel Age Vertical Sampler. Great selection of the Connecticut, the Sun Grown, the Maduro Age, the Rapper's Age for uh, 14 months in uh, Bourbon Barrel casks. They will be shipped out next week. You will love these cigars. I had the Perdomo HBBA Connecticut earlier this week out Standing. Let me finish up about Boeing. A lot of information has come out since the last time we talked about uh, the 737 MAX issues three weeks ago. Boeing knew about the safety alert problem for a year before telling the FAA and the airlines. And the problem kept a safety feature found on earlier models from functioning on the 737 MAX. So Boeing didn't share information about the problem with a cockpit safety alert for about a year. So, consequently, you have pilots, airlines flying around these planes without even knowing that uh, the safety alert was disengaged. Criminal on the part of Boeing. And again, their CEO, Dennis Muhlenberg, is an embarrassment to Boeing. When he says Boeing has safety, number one, engineering and passenger safety, he's lying. Boeing has been without any question, negligent and criminal during this entire 737 MAX design, development, and, and build program. Another example, Boeing altered key switches in the 737 MAX cockpit, limiting the ability to shut off the MCAS, the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System. And again, when you need, as, as, as an airline man, airplane manufacturer, when engineers have to put on a maneuvering characteristics augmentation system to lower the nose because you essentially have an inherently unstable airplane because of the fact they've stretched the thing so damn much and they had to reposition the giant engines, you've got a problem. That plane should have never left the Renton Washington factory, period. So in the middle of the Boeing 737 cockpit, there are two toggle switches that can immediately shut off power to the systems that control the angle of the plane's horizontal tail. But Boeing changed the switches on the 737 MAX that disengaged the MCAS system. They altered the labeling, the purpose of those switches, and they really didn't explain that to the pilots. So now the pilot's going in, switches which you think are going to disable things don't. And then you have former Boeing engineers saying relentless cost-cutting has essentially sacrificed safety. At every step of the, of the process, whenever the engineers would do something to change, uh, to, to, to engineer the airplane properly, senior executives would say, well, wait a minute, is this going to change the training to uh, level D, meaning the pilots had to go back in the simulator. Everything was geared to avoid that. Engineers were told to rush things. Engineers that had the opportunity to put tons of information, state-of-the-art information on the avionic screens in front of the pilots, they were told no. Why? It's going to cause the pilots to have to go back and train. So the 737 MAX is an airplane with essentially 1960s and 70s avionics technology in it. And here's the question. Will 737, when 737 MAXs fly again, will passengers get on board? A lot of airlines are worried. 
Boeing said they're going to spend a lot of dollars and explain to the public it's safe. Airlines are saying it. Would you go on a 737 MAX ever again? No chance in hell. I wouldn't, and you shouldn't, and this is coming from a pilot. We'll have more on the criminal activities of Boeing, I am sure. Cigar Dave the General, saying Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Make masculinity great again. Screw the senior Boeing executives. Put them in jail. And lastly, happy birthday, Cigar Sister Lynn.